Today we come to the end of Hebrews chapter 9, as the author there is kind of uh, still wrapping up this argument, this uh, point and application of what it is that Jesus, by his high priestly work on our behalf, does for us, what uh, what he gains for his people. And in these verses that we'll look at today, we'll see the author speaking about the death of Jesus as it was a once for always kind of death, the death of Jesus being the only sufficient sacrifice for sins. See also the author reminding the church that when Christ returns, it will not be to die again for sins, but to complete the salvation that has already been affected by his death for those who believe. This is the main idea of these verses today, that Jesus died once for always for your total salvation. Jesus died once for always for your total salvation. Would you stand with me as you're comfortably able as we read Hebrews 9, 23 through 28. We saw last week uh, at the end of verse 22, the author say, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Verse 23, Thus, therefore, so it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Jesus died once for always for your total salvation. And salvation, as we'll see, has more, has greater implications than just forgiveness of sins. Salvation is a a whole life enterprise, if you will. So when Jesus dies for sins, he dies for more than just the forgiveness of sins. He dies to give us a whole new life altogether. Let us see, then, the aspects of the life, the salvation for which Jesus died. These last six verses of Hebrews chapter 9 are interesting because they they come in in pairs of verses, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, and each of those pairs of verses, the author of Hebrews makes comparisons or contrasts of two different things to make these different points about the fullness of our salvation. He tells us first, shows us first in verses 23 and 24 that Jesus died once for our perfect worship, part of our salvation. An aspect of our salvation is perfected worship. We get the first of these pairs of contrast in verses 23 and 24. We have on the one hand those copies of heavenly things, those sketches, those illustrations, those types of heavenly things. We've been seeing over the last several weeks how the earthly temple in Jerusalem served as a picture, as an illustration of the heavenly dwelling place of God, the place of God's own presence. The temple uh, and the heaven, uh, the, the temple in Jerusalem was purified, was made pure for worship by the sacrifice of animals and the sprinkling of blood for it. And in that way, it demonstrates that there is a need for a sacrifice to purify the, the place in which we worship God, not, not an earthly place, but a spiritual place in which we worship God. 
the temple and the heavenly holy places are places of worship. One is physical and limited, the temple in Jerusalem. The other is spiritual and pervasive. The heavenly dwelling place of God is everywhere. God is omnipresent in the copy, in the physical earthly temple, the high priest was able to go, you remember, on behalf of the people to offer sacrifices that would purify the temple and purify the people for their worship. Animals died, blood was sprinkled so the people could worship freely. On the other hand, there is in the heavenly place a death that takes place to purify that sphere of worship. In the real holy place, Christ goes on behalf of his people and he does so not as the priests, high priests do in the temple. You remember the high priest would go in once a year to a place that only he could go. He makes purification for the worship uh, of the house and, uh, and so that the people could worship there in the temple. But still the people are not able to go all the way into the presence of God. When Jesus dies, when he offers his life as a purifying sacrifice for the pervasive spiritual sphere of worship that is everywhere that God is, he does so not so that only he can draw near, but so that everyone who is in Christ may draw near to God. This phrase, drawing near, appears so many times in the course of Hebrews. Chapter 4, verse 16, chapter 7, verse 19, chapter 7, verse 25, chapter 10, verse 1, chapter 10, verse 22, and 11, verse 6. We might say that this is what the author of Hebrews wants his readers to understand and to do. That in Christ, we are made able and invited to draw near to God in worship in ways that his people had never been able to do prior In this way, because Jesus died to purify the pervasive spiritual sphere of worship of God, which is everywhere that we go, our worship is perfected in Christ because it is no longer from a distance. Our worship is no longer divided by curtains, but our worship is close and personal in the very presence of God. Jesus died once for our perfect worship. The reality of this is that salvation in Jesus explodes the divide between the sacred and the secular. In Jesus, there is, no, there is nothing that divides what is holy from what is profane. Christian, if you are in Christ because he has died to purify, to make able your perfected worship in the presence of God, there is no aspect of your life that is not sacred. There is no area of your life that is not to be lived in worship. In Christ, all of life is sacred. There is no moment or arena of your life that is not meant to be, that is meant to be lived uh, apart from worship of God who made you and created you, who designed you in His image to do this very thing. Now, the truth that salvation in Jesus explodes the divide between sacred and secular is really good news for people who want to know and be known by God. It's really good news for those of us who want to know God and be known by Him. There's no longer in Christ anything separating us from entering into the very presence of God on our own in Jesus. That is really good news. God is not far away from you, dear friend, but in Jesus, He is is imminently close. But the fact that salvation in Jesus explodes the divide between sacred and secular is really frustrating news to those who would rather not have God messing with their stuff. There are a good number of people, people sitting in churches like ours today, maybe even some in this room, I don't know your heart, who would rather keep your worship, your your worship of God and your life during the week separate. 
You would rather keep a curtain between the two. You would rather have just, you'd have your worship on Sunday, you have your God thing on this day, but the rest of the week, that's my time. That's my life. That's what I do uh, 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 the, the way that I want to. God, don't mess with that stuff. We gotta, there's, a, there's a curtain that goes up at Saturday at midnight and Sunday night at midnight, right? And that, that one day is yours, God, but all the rest, you stay out. The fact that Jesus died for our perfect worship exploding that divide between the sacred and the secular means that you, dear friend, who would rather keep God on his one day, you you do not have the right to do so. You do not have the power to do so. And if you are content to think that God belongs only on one day, but not on seven days of the week, you have misunderstood what Christ has done for you and the purpose for which you have been made. It is good news for those who want to know and be known by God because it means there's no, now no longer anything between us. Jesus died for our perfect worship. Verses 25 and 26 demonstrate for us that Jesus died once for our perfect purification. Second aspect of our salvation. Part of salvation is to be able to worship God without, with, with, with confidence and, and without being hindered. Another part of our Salvation is being purified, and we've seen this over and again throughout the course of Hebrews chapter 9. Here the author compares the repeated sacrifice of the, that was offered by the priests in the temple to the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. As Jesus dies, not only does he enter into the real and personal presence of God, the heavenly holy of holies, but he does so only once. In this way, he sort of parallels what the priests would do once a year, except the problem is that the priests would have to do it once a year, year after year after year after year after year. Jesus enters into the holy place, the very presence of God on our behalf, once for always. This highlights for us the problem of the old covenant. Those old covenant priests, those priests in Israel had to enter repeatedly to offer sacrifices for purification over and over again, regularly being repeated, sacrifices that could not completely remove sins and clean, cleanse the conscience of the people. On the other hand, we have not the problem, uh, we have the problem of the old covenant, but on the other hand, we have the promise of the new covenant. The promise of the new covenant is that the sinless death of Jesus once for all is sufficient for perfect purification, for perfectly cleansing the conscience, as we've seen over the last two weeks. The author of Hebrews uses one word in the Greek that is translated into this phrase, once for all. It's a word that means once for all time, once for always, once for all past and future. Jesus, If it, if it weren't perfect, if Jesus' death weren't perfect and sufficient for perfect purification, He would have had to be dying over and over again from the moment of Adam and Eve's first sin until now. But this is not the case, the author of Hebrews says. Now, the timing of his sacrifice is interesting. It says in verse 26 that Jesus has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. You might read that phrase at the end of the ages and wonder, what does that mean? feels like we're still in the ages. Is, is, is the author of Hebrews saying that Jesus has yet to appear to make atonement for our sins? I thought that happened 2,000 years ago. Well, we should not look at this phrase at the end of the ages and think literally at the end of time. Rather, I think we should understand that phrase at the end of the ages in terms of God's redemptive history. 
God has been working through human history to redeem people for his own purposes. And we are now at the end of the ages. We are now in the final chapter, and we have been for the last 2,000 years, the final chapter of God's rescue mission to save people for himself. And so the author can speak sort of figuratively about the days in which we are being the end of the ages. Jesus died on the cross to inaugurate that last epic, that last movement of God's great salvation plan. Jesus' death, which inaugurates this new covenant wherein God will remember our sins no more. His once-for-always death, once-for-all past, once-for-all future, is sufficient to cleanse people who died in faith before the incarnation, before Jesus took on flesh. Have you ever wondered what, what happened to those Old Testament saints who died believing the promises of God before Jesus was born? Have you ever wondered about those Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Malachi, Ezra, Nehemiah, Rahab, Ruth, Esther. These men and women who lived long before Jesus was ever born, who never knew the name Jesus as attached to a man born in Nazareth who would be the Messiah. Have you ever wondered what happened to them? Are they in the presence of God? Are they in hell? Are they in some limbo place? The once for always death of Jesus teaches us that those who died in faith in God's promises, even though the promises had not come to fulfillment yet, the object of their faith was still in the promise of God who was Jesus. And because Jesus dies once for always, his sacrificial death is enough to cleanse the consciences, to purify the worship, to make holy and to justify to God those who had faith in him, even though they had not seen him yet. Jesus' death is sufficient to cleanse people who died in faith before the incarnation. His death is also sufficient to purify those who were living in the day of the writing of Hebrews, those who lived in the decades just following Christ's death and resurrection. And his death is sufficient to purify you today, 2,000 years later, and yesterday, and tomorrow. Jesus died once for our perfect purification. The good news for us today, friends, is this, that you do not have to wait to be made clean by Christ. You don't have to wait for Christ to make you clean. You don't have to clean yourself up to come to him. Neither do you, dear Christian, have to be made clean over and over again. Christ died once for always for your perfect purification. Have you seen these uh, videos of people selling this? It, it's, it's like a fabric protector. It's a hydrophobic uh, spray. that you can, Hydrophobic means it's afraid of water. It's a water-repelling kind of spray that you can spray onto clothes, shoes, things like that. And usually in commercials that are advertising these sprays, you'll see somebody come up in like a stark white pair of Converse Chuck Taylors. And they'll take one of those shoes and they'll spray it with the spray and the other one they'll leave untreated. And that person will go tromping through the muddy puddle. And, uh, and as he comes out on the other end, the untreated shoe is covered in muck. It's just filthy. It's, it, it's a horrible mess beyond repair. And the shoe that was sprayed is still pristine. It's still stark white. It still looks like it's brand new. These sprays are great for keeping brand new things looking brand new. For keeping pristine things looking pristine for protecting them from being muddied in the future. So also the death of Jesus, once for all, applied to the heart of the sinner, is able to cleanse their soul forever from the moment that they trust them, that they trust Him. 
The problem with these kinds of protective sprays, though, that we might spray on our shoes is that they're good for protecting for the future, but they do nothing about the past. If the shoe has already been plunged in the mud and the muck, this spray cannot remove those stains. It only works to keep pristine things pristine. It only works to keep new things new, pure things pure, but it cannot take away what is ruined and make it pristine. But dear friends, this is not so with the powerful blood of Jesus. When he applies his sacrifice to your ruined, sinful heart, dear friend, he not only makes it clean for all time going forward, but he also removes every muddy, bloody, caked on, and dried in stain of sin from your past. It works in both directions. This is good news. Jesus is not like these fabric protection sprays. He's not like a hydrophobic protective spray. Those sprays only have things to only offer benefits to that which is already perfect and new. Jesus has nothing, dear friend, hear me. Jesus has nothing to offer a perfect person. This is why so many people who consider themselves good, who consider themselves moral, who see themselves as people who, who are generally okay with God, seek nothing from him. Jesus has nothing to offer the self-righteous. Jesus has nothing to give to the person who thinks they need nothing to be right with God. But you, friend, you whose conscience is stained by guilt and the weight of sin, you who know the separation that, that you have from God by your rebellion against Him, you who are weighed down by the burdens not just of life, but the, by the burdens of your own rejection of God's authority in your life, to you who wonder, is there ever any way to be right with God? Is there ever any way for me to be forgiven? Is there any way for me to be cleansed? Jesus has for you, dear friend, everything to offer. A clean conscience from your past. Strength to live in holiness today. Jesus gives you hope for the forgiveness of sins that you pray today you'll never commit. Jesus died once for our perfect purification. You don't have to wait. You don't have to hold on. You don't have to clean yourself up to come to Christ. Come simply to Him by faith. With all of your faults, with all of your muck, with all of the sin in your life and say, Jesus, fix this. Dear friend, if that's you today, you could, you could do that this morning. You don't have to wait five more minutes. I've still got one more sermon point to make. But you don't have to wait five more minutes to know Jesus this way, to come to Jesus this way, to be made clean by Him. You can do so now in the quiet of your heart, simply praying to God, God, I, am, I know that I am a sinner. I know that I have stuff that keeps me from you. And I want to be made right. I want to be made clean. I know that I need a Savior. I know that I can't fix my life on my own. And I know and believe that Jesus is your Son who lived a life without sin, who died on the cross for me, who was raised from the dead, and I trust Him and His sacrifice. I give my life to Him as Lord. God, cleanse me by the death of Jesus. Give me new life today as I follow Him the rest of my days in obedience. Friend, you can be right with God this morning. You can have perfect forgiveness of sins, past, present, and future, this moment by placing faith in Jesus that way. Third, we see in verses 27 and 28 that Jesus dies once for our perfect salvation. We're bringing it all to a conclusion. Aspect of salvation is perfect worship. Another aspect of salvation is being purified, being cleansed. And the final aspect of salvation is salvation in a different sense. 
Here we have the third contrast that the author of Hebrews gives to us. On the one hand, there is the once for all, or, or, or once death, the one-time death of the individual to face the judgment of God. And on the other hand, there is the death of Christ, which absorbed the judgment of God. And we see that each of these deaths are decisive. On the one hand, the death of the individual is decisive. Scripture teaches this clearly. The wages of sin is death. Because you and I are sinners, because you and I have sinned, the natural uh, recourse for that, the natural wages, the natural consequence of that is to die. And Scripture teaches that when we die, we go to meet God face to face for Him to declare judgment upon us. Now, if we are righteous, if we are holy, if we are perfect in the standing before God the Father, He will judge us so and place us with Him uh, uh, in eternity. If we are judged, however, sinful, in any degree, great or large, if you have just one undealt with sin in your life before God on that day, because He is infinitely holy, just one sin places you at an infinite distance from God, If you are judged sinful in the presence of God on the day of judgment, you will be sent, you will be judged by God, rightfully so, to spend eternity apart from Him in a place called hell. The death of man is final. It happens only once and then to appear before God. This passage, Hebrews 9, verse 27, roundly negates the possibility of reincarnation. There is not another life after this to get a better shot, to try again, to do better. There is not the option like the popular TV show The Good Place would say, or you can, after you die, you go to a place where you have opportunity to uh, maybe amass some more morality points for yourself. And then after a probationary period, you can maybe go on to The Good Place. But if you're not good enough, you go to The Bad Place. It's not like that. Death is final. And the judgment that comes from God after our death is final too. This should, in some sense cause a little bit of consternation in our hearts. We are aware of who we are and what we have done, and that as we bring that before God, we should have a healthy fear of that meeting. Now, just as it is true that the death of the individual is decisive, your death, my death, leads to that moment of judgment before God, it is equally true that Christ's death once for all was decisive. Not for his own sins, but for your sins. Jesus' death was decisive on the matter of sin. So it is that when Jesus died on the cross, God looked on him as a perfect sacrifice who paid the penalty for the sins of all mankind, past, present, future, for everyone who is in him by faith. So, dear friend, if you have trusted Christ, if your life is his, if you have received his sacrifice and given your life to him as Lord, then your sins have been dealt with. They have been decidedly judged in Jesus. He paid the penalty. You could never return to God. And so when you die and you stand before God, you have every confidence to know that God will judge you just. He will judge you perfect. He will judge you pure. And He will welcome you into His eternal presence. Not because of what you have done, but because of what Christ has done decisively on your behalf. Now, because Christ died only once to deal with sins, He doesn't have to do it over and over and over again. Praise God, his death is good enough to just die one time. And when he returns, as Scripture promises he will, he doesn't return to die for sins again. Rather, he comes to perfect the salvation of those who believe. 
Verse 28 says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Now this promise that Christ comes to save those who are waiting for him does not mean that those who have trusted Jesus today are not completely saved. It doesn't mean that we're still waiting for a a spiritual salvation to be made right with God. No, certainly we have been. But what this verse is promising is that when Christ returns, he will bring salvation to its full conclusion. He'll bring it full circle. All of the benefits of salvation will, will be consummated in Christ as he ushers the faithful into that resurrection life in the presence of God. Jesus died once for our perfect salvation. He died once to save us, past, present, future, for all who are by faith united to him. So, dear friend, because Christ has and will save you completely, because by faith in him he has saved you today, he's made you right with God today, and by his returning he will save you completely, he'll bring that whole salvation process to its perfect completion, because of this you can persevere today with joy. Knowing what is coming, you can persevere today with joy. Have you ever watched a movie with a person who asks you questions about where the movie is going the whole time you're watching the movie? Why is so-and-so doing that? Why did she say that? What's going to happen? Shut up and watch the movie. Oh, no, you're not supposed to say shut up. Sorry. You ever watch the, the person who wants to know everything that's going to happen? Maybe, maybe they're, they're, they're a, a kind of a skittish person. Maybe it's kind of a tense right, suspenseful movie, and they just want to know everything's going to be okay. And if you just tell them, like, everything's going to be okay, they can get through the suspenseful parts of the movie just fine. I'm not like that. I I like to enjoy the suspense along the way. I like the ride. But sometimes knowing where a suspenseful movie is going or knowing where a potentially uh, thrilling or, or, or suspenseful book is going by reading the last chapter before you read the first. Knowing where things are going helps you to get through the hard parts of it a little bit easier. Helps you to embrace and, and, and to, to weather the, the tension of the time in between a little bit better. Dear friends, we know the end of the story. We've read the final chapter. Christ is returning again to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. We know how this ends. God has given us a sneak preview as to how all of time and history will wrap up at Christ's return. A day of glory and rejoicing for those who are in Christ. We know how it ends. And because we know how it ends, we can endure everything between now and then with joy, knowing that the ending is good. We can endure the restrictions of a global pandemic with joy, knowing how things end. We can endure financial hardship with joy, knowing how things end. We can press on to greater faithfulness in our marriages, greater love for our spouses, being better mothers and fathers and grandfathers and grandmothers to our children and to our grandchildren, in spite of all of the difficulty that comes with that, knowing how things end. We can endure a bad boss at work, knowing how things end. We can press through hunger and strife and loneliness and homelessness and persecution by the world. And we can do it with a smile on our faces and joy in our hearts because we know how everything ends. Jesus died once for our perfect salvation. Dear Christian, encourage your heart by this. Jesus, once for always death, is sufficient for our perfect salvation. Worship of God, 
purification of our conscience, eternal life with Him in the resurrection when He returns. Dear friend, have you embraced the fullness of salvation that Jesus died once for all to give? I pray that you have. And if you're struggling with that, if you have questions about that, if you're trying to work through whether or not you trust Jesus this way, there's time yet this morning for you to make that decision, to, to, to deal with those questions that you have. As we're dismissed, I'll be outside out front, as I am always, to greet one another as we go. And I would love nothing more than to spend the time between this service and the next to help you to know for certain about your relationship with Christ and whether you are secure, whether your salvation is certain, whether you know Christ who died once for always for your total salvation. Don't delay. See me this morning. Let us leave in this place with confidence, each of us knowing our standing before God. Let's pray together.